Welcome back to War Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony Lepanta, coming to you from Tuttles. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Thanks for all you fine people for coming out uh, here at Tuttles. We even had somebody drive from Wilmer, Minnesota. Wilmer, the home of Margot Lepanta. Yeah, wow. Do you know the Lepantas? Margot Waleen? It was Waleen. Yeah, Waleen? she wasn't Lepanta yet in Wilmer. But okay. yeah, the Waleens, she grew up in Wilmer. and Related to her card? Uh, no, but she did find out that she's, I think, maybe 50% Swedish. I think she found out a long time after the fact that her father was actually 100% Swede. Oh, wow. So she has a lot of Swedish blood in her. And uh, But it was good. She loved her time in Wilmer, spent a lot of time in Spicer on Green Lake. I don't think any of her family still lives there, but we made a few trips back. Ricard Valin, I covered him for a cup of coffee here in Minnesota. Then I can't remember how. Do you guys remember how they got rid of him? Was it was it a waivers or something? Yeah, it was really quick. My first year, if I remember correctly, and he had a brother in the league as well. So maybe related not, to probably Margo. not related, but okay. we'll find out. We'll get to the bottom of it. December thirteenth is our next live show at Split Rocks. December thirteenth at Split Rocks. As always, we have a microphone up here. If you have a question during the show, feel free. You don't have to be invited to come on up. We have a raffle that we'll be doing. We'll be got, giving away uh, Russo LaPanta Worst Seats in the House t-shirts uh, at the end of the night. We'll be doing the raffle here. I got a couple wild giveaways as well up here, so definitely come on up. If you get the two-for-one drinks, which is also buy one, get one, Brianne, uh, that, is, uh, that is... Depends on the week. We yeah, go back yeah. and forth. Make sure you get a raffle ticket, and we'll be coming out here. But again, thanks for everybody for coming on to Tuttle's. Good day for that. There was breaking news with the Wild uh, today. Anthony, it's something that we've been speculating on for a couple weeks now on worst seats in the house, and that's Marco Rossi reassigned to Iowa. You knew it was coming. Four games in a row, he was scratched. I think they wanted to send him down last week, and then all of a sudden Brandon Duhame got hurt, and then they had a couple of illnesses going through the team, so I think they just kept him around, made sure they got through uh, the game Sunday against Arizona healthy, and then made the decision to send him down. So he's flying out to San Jose, and the expectation is that he'll be in the lineup Tuesday and Wednesday against the San Jose Barracuda, and my guess is he'll be you know, spending maybe seven, eight, nine, ten games down there. And it's, I don't think this is as big a deal as people are making of it. I would have never guessed he'd be sitting with one point at this point into the season. Uh, I didn't expect that we'd see him go back to Iowa, but it doesn't, at this point, why not? Go down, play a ton, play on the power play, play on the penalty kill, be the man at the end of the game, team protecting a lead or trying to come from behind. Just rebuild some of the confidence. You could tell he was... He was feeling some pressure that he wasn't scoring. His game was just fine, but it just wasn't producing points. And what the Wild need right now is somebody who can step into a scoring role in this lineup. This will be good for him long-term probably and better than just sitting in the press box. And my, my guess is that last night the message that he received from Bill Guerin and, and Dean Evison is, is look, uh, go down there um, with the proper attitude, which you know he will, but be assertive. I mean, they want him when they, he comes back up here to, um, you know, to be aggressive, um, play like an NHL player, go into high traffic areas. Don't just, um, you know, just don't be happy to be here. And that's what they've basically told him is, is you know, be dirtier, so to speak, not not from a yeah, which is the same there. message they yeah. give all those guys. When you're in the lineup, play great, be great, do all the things you've always done, and don't give us any reason or don't give us the ability to move you down in the lineup, to take away ice time or take you out of the lineup. And it's the same message that they 
gave to Sam Steele when they put him on the top line between Kaprizov and Zuccarello. It's the same message they gave to Matt Boldy when they put him on the line with Fiala last year. Just play. Just be the same player you've always been. And and Rossi clearly, it would be interesting to go back. If you remember, I think it was the second game of the year, he had a couple great chances and didn't score. Had another one. Game in Boston. And then they had the one that where they tried to give him the goal. The five on three and he didn't and, shoot. And, well, no, they tried to give him the goal, but they, they re, the scorers looked at it and said, no, it didn't hit him on the way in. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the goal, I believe, went to Erickson Eck instead. Erickson Eck tried to say it was Rossi's goal. And if you... If he has that goal, you wonder how much one goal on the score sheet could have changed his mentality. And it's he's going to have a really good NHL career, and I still believe he'll be an impact on this team this year. And this will be a great – this will be something you look back on and say it was probably good for him. Yeah, and again, I mean – you know, I'm I'm just continually amazed the number of uh, people that that are you know already calling him a bust. I mean, I think if you go back to everybody, I'm sure that happened with Miko Koivu, with Yolerik Snack, with Kevin Fiala, with Ole Jokinen. I mean, this is the history of this league. Jack Hughes, Lafrenia, uh, Kako. I mean, these Quentin Byfield, Alexander Holtz. I mean, it's you know the list goes on and on and on of players that just don't step into the NHL right away and and produce, and it takes a while. Um, we saw Mikhail Granlin here for a while. Looked like he wasn't going to be able to function at the NHL. The first year, he's knocked off the skates like a gust of wind hit him. And then he goes goes back home over the offseason. He came back a different-looking player. And I just think that's what we're going to see with uh, Marco Rossi. Um, he's only 21 years old. I talked to his junior coach, who happens to be Arizona's coach yesterday, about him. And he went on and on and on about him and how he's not worried at all. And I just, uh, you know, I think that we've probably gotten – a little spoiled here watching Kaprizov Jeff step in. Remember, at 23 years old, uh, absolute superstar in the KHL comes over, functions right away. We saw that with Boldy last year as well, and I think that we all kind of just expected that. But clearly there are growing pains here, and he's going to be better for this. It's interesting, some of the players you mentioned, and one is Jack Hughes, who I was watching earlier tonight. I was watching some of the pregame coverage before the Devils played the Rangers, and they were talking about how Hughes this year has looked like a totally different player. He's the number one overall pick. And the Devils were saying a lot of the same things about him that the Wild are saying about Rossi right now in that they liked his game, he just wasn't scoring. Liked his responsible play, liked the fact that they could trust him on the ice, and he just wasn't scoring. On cue, and he just scored. He just scored, yeah. And he, after his second year, I want to say he had 38 points or something like that, and then it was in November of the start of his third season where they signed him to the eight-year extension. And it was because they wanted to take the pressure off him and say, it doesn't matter how much you score. We like the way you're playing the game. And now all of a sudden, he's rolling. He's about a point and a half per game player right now this year and looks like the superstar he was expected to be as the number one overall pick. And I'm not saying Rossi is going to be a point and a half per game player, but it's just interesting to hear some of the parallels of the way his game was described by the Devils. Andre compared him to 
Ryan O'Reilly, which, which surprised uh, yeah, me a little. Yeah, that that I read like your article about it actually, yeah. which you got to be impressed. I read your article. Yeah, I know. And, I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> I logged but, in as Margo yeah, and and yeah. took a look, but I was surprised that that was the yeah. comparison he made because his game looks nothing like Ryan O'Reilly to me. Yeah, I, I we'll see. Uh, but um, like, you think maybe you we'll all be looking back about and say four inches. Exactly, and, yeah. Well, that was that was that was the interesting thing. I mean, maybe when he coached him, he was Rossi's size. I don't know. Um, but by the way, Rangers Shesterkin were up two nothing in this game. It's now three two, which you could. I was listening you know on the radio, and I was listening to your friend Kenny me. Albert on the way down here, and listening to his call. It, it, what a tremendous pace this game has had, at least the way yeah. it sounded on the radio. This Devil team is for is uh, they're legit. It's legit. Yep, no doubt. I think Seattle's legit. I you've been trying to debate legit. me that. I do think days. they're legit. I don't think the Devils might be a, a contender to win the yeah. East. Seattle's not that. But they're they're going to be in this playoff hunt right down to the wire. I love the way they play, and the subtle additions that they made from last year to this. Burakovsky is a much better player than I think people realized. He was kind of under the radar in Colorado with all the superstars they had. He's a really good player, and Yanni Gord's healthy now. He wasn't healthy last year. And you remember when we talked a lot about the guys that we thought might be Seattle's version of the guys who thrived in Vegas when were, they were given a, a bigger role, more ice time, more opportunity. Guys like William Carlson and Jonathan Marchessault who hadn't been stars where they were and suddenly flourished. And Gord was one of the guys that I thought we would see in that way in Seattle. Jordan Everly was another. And Gord just last year didn't look himself. Well, it turns out he was hurt. Now he's healthy. And then you add the young star like Maddie Beneers. I think that Seattle team is legit. Yeah, the I, way I, they play hard. Yeah, uh, it's Dave Haxtell type hockey. Um, so let's talk about a couple controversial topics that happened this week. One, um, I want to talk to you about the whole Marcus Foligno stuff that happened in uh, in the Arizona game. But let's first go back two games ago to Matt Murray. And the fact that now there's this narrative around the NHL that the Wild have uh, a problem with <laughs> keeping these pegs in the ice. I mean, I just think it's hysterical. It's baloney. Um, I mean, you know. <laughs> so, number one, I, it yeah. happened twice with Murray the game before yeah. against New Jersey. So it happened for him five times in a two-game span. Happened for Marc-Andre Fleury exactly zero times the same night. And when you watch those overhead well, and replays. And by the way, the best part of this is Toronto fans trying to contend that it happened to Flurry <laughs> when Zach Aston Reese crashed 100 miles per hour in the net. Into the That's net, what they're right. counting as it happened. And when you look at the plays from overhead, it, it's ridiculous. One of them he knocks off with his shoulder. Another one he actually knocks off the opposite post than the one he pushed off where he tried to say, well, it's how my style, I push off on the post. It was embarrassing. It was... It was ridiculous that it was allowed to go on without a call. And all three times it happened, well, two of the times the Wild had them under siege where they were caught in their own zone and they needed a whistle desperately. Another was the entry with the redirect by Addison that missed the net anyway, but it he doesn't know it's going to miss the net when he kicks it off the yeah. post. And I, I just thought it was... It was it was an embarrassment that the officials allowed it to happen three times and, and then tried to make it look like they were reprimanding him, like that's the last time this is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's so out of touch. Um, and, and this is kind of my point on, when I get to the Felino thing. It's just referees, and in that case, at least in the Felino one, it was a super young ref. 
the 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 case of Murray, that is a veteran official, Justin St. Pierre, who's just letting it happen. He was the in-zone ref every time. The guy in the neutral zone, Graham Skilder, who I think is a great referee, is is also has the ability to call that. And he's a veteran ref. And I just don't understand how it gets by. Um, and and to me, this is some I know for a fact the league, it's on their radar. Um, and this is to me, I, I've I've long said to referees when I talk to them in concierge and things like that, I ask them, why don't you pre-scout? Like, I get you don't want to come into games with preconceived notions, but I think it's the same situation with divers in the league. If you have a history of diving in the National Hockey League, I think the referees should know that and you should not get the benefit of the calls. And I think in this case, it needs to be in the, in the hands of Without officials to say, you know what, this is what he does. It, this, these aren't like jurors that you have to keep sequestered and don't yeah. read the newspaper. I mean, if they come into a game and they know these two guys fought the last time around, you don't think they know? Yeah. we got to keep an eye on what goes on between these two to, to keep the game in order. The same could be... The, we'll fast forward just for a brief second. I mean, that's why they send Felino to the dressing room to say, we don't want to see this escalate, so let's just do this. Well, you know, you have to know that stuff. And they have to have known that the night before, there are three goals disallowed in the Jersey game. Murray knocks the net off twice. Both of them were questionable. Both of them were argued fiercely by New Jersey. And you have to have that in the back of your mind. You absolutely you have to. There's some... Uh to be kind, we'll just call him Loser, on Instagram named I think that's his name. You could keep it in, Brandon. Uh, he's an ECHL alumni, and he went and, and went off on me in a direct message. It's, it's hysterical. Don't, uh, they, don't they have to ask you if they can no, send well, you a direct yeah, message? Yeah, you have to do a request, and I stupidly went to those requests. Oh, no, just say no. And saw it, yeah. And, uh, but, well, I mean, you see <laughs> I it I have no problem can, like, ignoring him. Yeah. So this 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 I mean this toolbox is hysterical. The stuff he's telling me, questioning my intellect of, of hockey over this situation, and him being a former ECHL goalie, he was trying to explain to me what happened. Um, I think I'll go with Mark Andre Fleury and Dean Everson and Freddie Chabot in my own eyes uh, to say that Matt Murray knew exactly what he was doing. Let's go to the Felino situation because this one was interesting. And look, I get what the referee is doing on the extra call. He, I, and probably in the ref's mind, Peter McDougal, he's thinking, all right. Um, in his mind, I'm not saying it's the accurate, is that uh, Felino instigated a fight, so instead of giving him an instigating a 2-5-10, I'm going to give him the extra two on starting the fight, um, which, coincidentally enough, after all the hoopla that we're going to talk about in a second, he winds up with 2-5-10 and, and two. two more twos. <laughs> yeah, right. So he winds up with 19 minutes of penalties. He got a 2-5, a 2-10. a two and a yeah, 10. But here's where, again, it's a young ref, to me, not understanding or recognizing the situation and having a feel for the game. Marcus Foligno drives the net. He, you know, he might, in, in the mind of probably Arizona, he sprays the goalie with, with ice. Liam O'Brien comes off the bench and skates straight at Foligno. He's got to know, the referee, that he is doing this to get Foligno to react. And Foligno react. He just gave him a little push as he's coming toward him. That's what started it. And the way that we know that the referees realized that of after the fact, what happened is that in the second period, when Reeves probably did deserve a penalty for, for taunting uh, Chikrin, Liam O'Brien again comes off the bench, 
goes right up to Reeves, and what did they do? They took only Liam O'Brien. I think that was uh, that was them recognizing, wow, he just did the same exact thing that we should have called him or had the belief that we did on that one. But what was what really bothered me about the whole Felino thing, and look, um, the only one that knows probably what was being said is uh, or the people, the off-ice officials, and maybe Marty, who almost got clobbered by Felino as he was leaving the ice over there. Um, but uh, but the but what you don't see on camera is that. Before this tee-up happened with McDougal, he was having a like conniption fit in the defensive yeah. zone. It was almost hysterical to watch this. Like Dean Ashey is screaming at him to calm down. Erickson X trying to get him to calm down. He is screaming at Erickson Eck. He drops his whistle almost embarrassingly. He picks it up and he almost fumbles as he picks up his whistle. And then he just turns from the defensive circle and tees up Felino from there. Like 100 yards away. So I think he was just having a bad couple minutes there. And then he goes to the bench. And then Felino does do the helmet thing and and earns himself the 10 minutes. And that was well-deserved. And Felino can't do that. You can't make that mistake. Yes, the call was wrong. It should have just left it at the 2-5 and and accepted the fact that your team was short. But he lost his mind and lost his cool. and, And because of it, put the team short for another two minutes and then put them a forward short in a game they were already a forward short for almost an entire period. And the, to go back to the conversation, though, the, the officials, you have to know. This is Liam O'Brien, the, perhaps the, as big a donkey as there is on the Coyote lineup, and he's skating straight off the bench and straight at you. Well, why is he... What are you going to do if you're Felino? Just stand there and wait until the donkey hits you first? He's come off the bench and he's skated directly at you. You're going to respond. And it was a nothing push. It was, a, it was a nothing push. So you easily could have just left it at the fightings. You could have ignored the fact that O'Brien came off the bench to start this and just given them both two and five if you wanted. It was a bad call. But then Felino lost his mind, and he was well-deserving of the final 10 minutes. Yeah. I don't know exactly what he said to warrant the two for unsportsmanlike, but I don't doubt that he earned that, too, with the way he, yeah. was, he had lost his mind yeah. in the penalty box. It, it, was, it was just like and, – and at first, like, I also think that Felino, Zuccarello, and the linesmen were even trying to figure out, like, is it definitely an extra – like, that's what the initial conversation was at the box – that before anything happened, that's bef- when he teed him up, is for apparently, in his mind, delaying this game. But I think everybody was trying to figure out, wait a minute, did he get an extra and should Zuccarello be serving this? That's why there was sort of that lineup and that conversation at the gate. And before you even knew it, this guy just flies down there and just tees him up. And again, what was going on in the D zone before any of this happened is what, to me, shows that this was a whole bogus scenario, is that the, the referee was hot. And Erickson Eck was trying to calm him down. And by the way, when you're hot, there's nothing worse than some, somebody telling you to chill out. Because I, <laughs> I have really? a fr- yeah, I, That's bothered yeah, you before? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're angry and somebody's telling you to calm down, I'm like, I will not calm down. And you know that better than anybody. I so, have uh, experienced it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I totally Funny, respect you've never that Peter McDougal does that. I don't want, think you've ever told me to calm yeah, down. Yeah. And probably Erickson X telling him to calm down with that look that right, the blank opponents, look. too. So he's probably just getting fired up at Erickson Eck. Then he drops his whistle, which was just hysterical. He almost stumbles as he's picking up the whistle. And as he picks up his whistle in one motion, he does this. And I'm like, so I thought Erickson Eck was getting the penalty. I didn't realize he was actually giving it to Felino. And then Felino now realized that he had two penalties. That's when he lost his mind. So 
Um, again, I just think uh, better feel from a young referee probably in that situation is warranted. Well, the, the Wild actually thought that it should have been an extra two yeah. on O'Brien to start for basically coming off the bench yeah. to start a fight. And that was, you could read Dean Evison's lips on our broadcast that that's what he was asking. And he said, why isn't there two for coming off the bench? And that's why I felt that you probably could have just gotten away with saying we're giving them both two and five or both five or whatever you wanted to do it to even it up. And I'll have to ask Marcus, so I wonder if part of why he stormed by Marty or locker room guard was because now he knew he had to watch the game on TV for a period. Yeah. Um, I, I was a little concerned for Marty there because it looked like Marty gave him a little laugh too, which I thought might have been a little uh, little risky. Premature. Um, let me get, just read you a couple of Marcus Foligno quotes from last night that I thought were hilarious. Okay, so he's explaining what happened. He was just frustrated with the call. I didn't really know that I was putting my team shorthand after the fight. Didn't really know uh, what was the start of it. It was just frustrating. There's just times in the game where referees get a hold of it, and there's times where we've seen a lot of it this year where it just doesn't make you understand what they're thinking or why they're thinking it. So, I mean, I felt a little disrespected there. I don't know how you give a guy an extra two for something that's that's really nothing there. It's just a five-minute fighting penalty. Give each guy's two five minutes. And this is where I got laughed. I, I laughed, okay? So he's saying, O'Brien said that I snowed the goalie. Tough to see that one, too. That's what he does. That's all he's out there to do, really. And he comes over, and he puts a shoulder in my chest, and I got to push it him out of the way, and that's a referee call. I didn't really know. Again, you fight, your adrenaline's kicked up, and then you go to the penalty box, and you find out you got another two, so you're putting the team down, and then he then he's at the far end, meaning McDougal, doesn't really say anything to me. Now, this is where I just laughed out loud. He goes, Chris, so he's talking about Schlenker. Chris, the other referee, actually is a nice guy and understands it and talked to me after, but I was too tired, fired up, and then he teased me up from the corner because I'm yelling at him from the penalty box. I just fired up a little bit. I just thought that Chris, he's a nice guy line made me laugh. Um, you know what's funny is a couple years ago, I met Chris Schlenker at the Residence Inn in Des Moines, Iowa. I went down there to cover Zach Parisi's rehab game. And Schlenker was doing that game. And the next day, he was, he was one of those minor league refs at that time. He was driving up to St. Paul, and he was going to do, the, like, I think maybe his first or first or second uh, NHL game. And I just remember him being, like, nervous. As, you know, he's going to do this AHL game, then going to St. Paul doing the NHL game. And, uh, and it's just funny to me that Felino, he's like, like, Chris, he's a nice guy. You know? <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm sure McDougal's could, a nice guy, too. He might well be. But it, there are times where we've talked so often about, excuse me, about inconsistencies with officiating. And if you were to take that play, let's just say you took the shove from Marcus Foligno and separated it from everything else that's happening, because apparently that's what the officials did on this play. They separated the fact that Liam O'Brien skated all the way from the bench straight at Foligno and gave him a roughing minor. Show every ref in the league that shove and see how many would call him two minutes for roughing. Yeah, not, not anybody. Zero? Zero. I mean, and, and the other thing, again, it's how about, was it the same game where another NHL game that we have covered where a Minnesota player gets his helmet taken off and no penalty? And, the, and they, the, a couple of weeks ago, they put the wild down a man. And said it was automatic. Cramorosa with the game on the line in the final three, four minutes. And it's now happened three different times since to a wild player and no call. Happened in Nashville and two recent home games. I, I just makes no sense to me. Like, there's one. It should be just like a puck in the stands. That is the rule in the rule book. If you take guys' helmet off, you go to the box. 
And they're it not is the rule it. of the just, rule book. It's, it's just insane to me that they're picking and choosing when to call it. It's just bonkers. The holiday season is just around the corner, and if you're like my family, that means a ton of cooking. Make sure you are getting the most out of your cooking with Connecticut's K5 drinking water system. The Connecticut K5 drinking water system makes it convenient to get purified water right from your sink or fridge. Certified to remove more contaminants than any other system with 99% removal. My friends over at Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut can help you. They installed my K5 drinking water system for me, and it's the best decision I've made for healthy drinking water and makes my recipes top-notch, and I haven't even mentioned my coffee. If you want to learn more about Connecticut's K5 drinking water system, contact Aquarius for a free water analysis or visit them at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention, Russo sent you. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. We've had a couple great meals around our house lately. We had an opportunity with the team on the West Coast and all national TV, or I should say nationally streamed games that put us on the sidelines for a while, but it allowed for some great dinners at home. And one of them that we had that was particularly good featured a couple items from Kowalski's that were new. And one is a new grass-fed, fully organic steak that we tried that was terrific. If you like grass-fed, if you like the cleaner taste of the meat, it was good. I personally prefer the Akaushi cuts to it, but it was it was good to try. But the other thing we had that night were their scallops, and I know we've talked about these before. They've switched to a dry-packed, ne- fresh, never-frozen line of scallops, and they are incredible. We had a, a group over here for dinner, and they all raved about them. They don't cook down, so don't be fooled by the smaller size. They're a little sweeter, but just have terrific flavor, terrific taste. Anytime that you're going to entertain, you got to start with the with the best ingredients, and for that, Kowalski's is the place to go. Come on up and ask questions if you want. Um, here we go, Mr. Wilmer coming, but this is Margot's brother or something. Uh, I don't think so. I know her brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. One knocked you in the eye with a golf ball. He did. So, uh, question for you, Anthony. Okay. Uh, I'm just curious. Have you ever done any national broadcasts, like in the playoffs, or if there's any big differences and not not in the NHL. I've done, I guess, what you'd call national broadcasts in terms of I've done college football, and but not not for the NHL. And the, the only difference is that it's you're just you really have to work to be balanced. And I did the same thing, I guess, when I did I was doing Gopher hockey games, and then would do the Final Five, where now you were technically employed by the conference. Not well, I guess I was never employed by Minnesota, but we were the gopher broadcasters and then you do the games there where maybe the only thing i'd say that's different is my goal calls would match for both sides instead of being more excited for one team than the other right and then the other question i had uh just what are you guys thoughts on the 2018 expansion draft looking back because it seems like the wild got pretty taken advantage more so than other teams um the Panthers are one team that comes to mind that got taken advantage of a yeah, lot. Blue Jackets, too. They, those Anaheim. were the three that really, yeah, in Anaheim, those were the four, I guess, that really, and it, it was interesting don't, because. Don't forget to get your uh, 
raffle tickets? I think it's a really interesting question because at the time I remember talking with Chuck Fletcher a lot and and was nobody knew exactly what the right way to handle that was. Nobody knew if it was here are the numbers, what's it worth to be able to basically add two guys to my protected list? Is it worth a second asset or not? And Minnesota was one of the teams that thought it was, so was Florida, so was Columbus, so was Anaheim. And Vegas, I thought, manipulated it really well with the way they, okay, we'll do this deal and promise not to take this guy. And they really had it worked out pretty well. Because of how well it worked for Vegas, it was really tough for Seattle because every team then just realized we're going to lose a player that we like. We're just going to live with it and lose one instead of two. And I think Minnesota ended up on the short end without a doubt of that deal, but it wasn't necessarily based on information they had available at the time. So I find it hard. I don't really fault the guys for that because they didn't know. Second yeah, time mean, around, you, everybody, every GM with whom I spoke, and I know I think you were the same, the second time around was like, look, yeah, it, we're going to lose a good player. Well, look at Bill Guerin. He did nothing, right? right. In, fact, in fact, actually, if you remember, Seattle didn't make one trade. That's what I mean. Nobody, yeah. everybody yeah. just said, like we're going to lose a guy, Bill, yeah. and that's it. Bill Guerin just said, you know what? Do what you want, and we'll, we'll adjust. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, it really is... Like, I don't disagree with you on, on the wild that we're taking advantage of, but again, nobody really knew. It, and now, in hindsight, everything's always clearer, and you're just like, how the heck did they? It's like to take Eric Halla, who's still a very good NHL player, who scored 29 goals for them, we're going to give you Alex Talk. So you don't, you know, like it's right. just, you know, and like it, now in hindsight. Now what they were protecting like, yeah. were Brodeen and Dumba, yeah. and which you could argue that it would have been. That would have been worse if they had taken Jonas Brodeen than Eric Halla, without a doubt. But was it worth Alex Tuck? Probably not. No, right, I'm, I agree. I'm saying that the difference wasn't that. There was a difference, and we'd be worse off if we had lost Jonas Brodeen compared to Eric Halla. But that difference wasn't Alex Tuck. It was maybe a lesser prospect of some kind. But, it, but nobody knew what that difference was at that time. Nobody knew that... Okay, by giving an extra prospect or extra prospect or an extra pick, and then in most cases Vegas got extra picks. They wound up with three first-round picks in that first draft, and and ended up basically trading all those guys to make their let's try to win now plan work out for them. So I thought Vegas did it really well, and they probably made it almost impossible for Seattle to do the same thing because of how good they were at it. And it is going to be interesting, Anthony. Like, if Seattle, if this really is a legit team on its way up here, a contender now, they're going to have a pretty good satisfaction, gratification that they really had to deal with the same rules but very different rules, and yet they were still able to build this contender um, with obviously still a very, very bright future when you get guys like, uh, like you know, like Beneers and, and uh, Shane and, Wright. And Shane they, Wright. They've got some young talent. They, I, I think this team's legit, and I, I would say – Right now, I would bet that next year they're a contender of the Pacific Division. How about Shane Wright, by the way? He goes down to Coachella Valley, which uh, I'm thinking of pitching a little trip there just because it's love to go to Palm Springs right now. Um, and he's got four goals in three games. You know, this is why, you know, Jake Neighbors talked today about his tip, trip back to, uh, to the minors and maybe in a, in a, you know, two, three weeks, whatever it is, Marco will be saying the same thing. Question. Um, you talked about Gay Ryan. I want to know what you guys feel of, how do you, where do you think he ranks so far? He's done a few, in my opinion, he's done a few bonehead moves early on. Bill Guerin you're talking about? Yeah. 
Gary, yeah. Where are you from? <laughs> Canada, what, Quebec. Yeah, what part, it, it is Godreau. It's not Goudreau. Okay. <laughs> what, what part of uh, Quebec? Quebec from? City. Yeah, Quebec City? Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, he's, he's handled, you know, the, the suitor. He could have waited, gotten some money. We wouldn't have the Fiala deal or debacle. Then uh, the whole Talbot issue that just happened at the beginning of the season because of his agent's comments. Like, what do you feel like he ranks? He's done a few good moves, too, but just... Yeah, yeah the, the one that's really tough is the Parisi suitor thing because he knew it was going to hamstring the team for a couple of years, but he also knew they were never going to win with the way that team was built. And with that, I agree. They were never going to win with the way the team was set up, with the way the locker room was constructed, with the, the way that the team was built, and they would have been built that same way for the next four years because those guys... They still had that much on, left on their contract. Nobody in the league was going to trade for Zach Parisi. I don't think anybody in the league would have traded for Ryan Suter at that, at that dollar point. And again, if you trade Ryan Suter or Zach Parisi and they retire prematurely, now on the back end you're getting cap recapture, which would be a hell of a lot worse than what they're dealing now because they'd be spending 82.5, then all of a sudden, hey, Parisi, I'm, I'm retiring, and now what are you going to do? You're going to have to figure out a way to give away Kevin Fiala or something. I mean, like that's the to me the thing that the fans are not understanding here is that first of all, if they had Parisian suitors still here, that's more money against the cap. They would not be able to afford them. And again, cap recapture is worth worse than the cost certainty of knowing what the buyouts are going to be compared to if Paris. Like, I, I think we could all pretty much say that with two years left on the deal, that Parisi might retire. Maybe he's not. I mean, he he was sent to a place with a GM that absolutely respects his game and might keep on giving him one year deals. But I think at the time, the way that Zach was playing here, they worried if they traded him that they, if he retired with three years left on his deal and they continue to operate at a full cap, and then now they're hit with the cap recapture, that they're going to have to get rid of a monster player. Not We're not talking like get rid of John Merrill. We're talking about like they would have to get rid of a seven, eight, nine million dollar player. I mean, or million dollars worth of players. I mean, that was the reason why they did it. Um, Ryan, the other thing that I have said that I think you were alluding to here is that wait on Ryan Suter and trade him. Ryan Suter would have to waive his no move clause. Let me promise you the only way Ryan Suter was going to leave this organization was this way. He was never going to waive his no move to go to anywhere else. He was just not. Uh, you know, he's building, he built, you know, bought a place, tore it down, was building his, I mean, he was here to stay. And Bill Guerin knew that and figured this was the only way to sort of cleanly, uncleanly do it. So, um, and in terms of the Fiala thing, I mean, again, like the other thing, like, like I, I get that, that there's this belief out there that because he signed John Merrill and Alex Goligoski and brought in Tyson Jost and gave Jordan Greenway that that's why they couldn't sign Fiala. But again, these players would still need to be, their, their, their roster spots would still need to be filled with some sort of players. And though that costs money. You weren't just going to not have four players on the team. You have to fill a roster. So there was just never a time where they were going to be able to afford Kevin. And, um, and that, that, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it sucks watching him on TV and having him score every single night. You know, I mean, they could absolutely use him right now. Matt Boldy, until the last three games, looked like that was a major issue. But, you know, that, that, that's just the reasoning for it. I mean, we could all debate on whether or not it was the prudent thing to do, but that is the reason. And I don't think Fiala was going to fit here. I really don't. But the one deal that I – and I said it at the time, so I feel, I feel okay about – because I hate critiquing guys in hindsight. I thought the Talbot trade probably happened a little quick. And, and it 
didn't have to happen. Now, I think you have to wait to evaluate it by what do you do with the extra cash uh, and cap space that you got. If it allows him to make another trade at some point before the end of this season, and the only way that trade was possible was because of the extra cash he had now, then we have to go back and revisit it. But it felt to me that it was a, a maybe a too quick of a reaction to a, a situation I, I, that he yeah. didn't like. I, I will say that whole thing that led to Talbot, I, th- I do think, was managerial issues. You know, like, I think the way they handled the goaltending situation in the playoffs created the mess in the offseason, which created Talbot wanting to leave, which created Billy reacting to trading him. And, and then, uh, you know, so I don't disagree with you there. The, the, the one that it also in hindsight that I, I, that I even that thought at the time was a little peculiar was the, the, the Sturm for Joe's trade. Um, you know, I get that Sturm turned down a five-year, $2.5 million deal. I'm sure deep down Billy Garen's like, who the hell is this guy to turn down $2.5 million over five years? But the thing is, is that this happened so far in advance of the trade deadline that to me, rather than going get, getting a Tyson Jost, who I think many people that watched him thought he was not an NHL player, um, is just wait a two, three weeks, and you're going to be able to trade Ty- Nico Sturm for either something else or even a, a you know, a, a decent uh, draft pick and not now they got out of the two million anyway essentially but not take on two million which to me precluded them from making moves this summer for a two million dollar player so that I do think was something that you know could have been could although have. I I will say at that at the time of that trade I thought Jost had more upside and I now after watching him a little more closely yeah. here I I don't, I don't see uh, it but yeah. at the time I thought. I had always thought he was going to be a player that would score more in the NHL than he had shown. Nico Sturm is the one player, like usually a lot of the opinions that the Wild have on their their players, management, I, I pretty much am on sync with. Like Nico's the one that I've never understood why there just wasn't uh, like a, res- a bigger respect from his game from Dean and, and Billy Guerin. Like he, t- to me, he was a north-south player. Um, he didn't have the greatest hands, but he still went to the net. He worked his butt off. He was a total pro. And uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe they did respect him because they offered him the five-year deal. But I just thought if I, I thought that, you know the one thing that I think Bill does that you, that you also brought up too with Talbot is sometimes when he when you know it's it, I don't know if it's a stubbornness, but when he feels slighted a bit, he makes the move right away, and that's what happened with Talbot. Just made it right away, and I think with Joe with uh, Sturm, he's like, "This guy turned down five years, two and a half million. I'm not playing games." And then the first call that coincidentally happened was Joe Sackett calling about um, Nico Sturm, and he made the move right away. And so, uh, you know, that 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 those are the three. The, the Goligoski one too was peculiar to me. I get there was a handshake deal. That one was strange. If it's a if it's living up to your word, I I have respect for that because that will pay dividends in the future as well. But I also think if you just if you eliminate all the other stuff and you look at what that dollar number is for Alex Goligoski, that's a fine deal. Yeah, there's what? absolutely nothing wrong with that dollar amount for yeah. Alex Goligoski. Yeah, if he was playing every night and they felt compelled, to even if him he's a sixth or seventh guy, to me that's. Those guys are valuable. You look around the league, every team needs a seventh defenseman right now. Nobody's got six guys playing 82 games. Mm-hmm. Two million is pretty hefty for a uh, seventh defenseman, though. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it is. You're right. For Alex Goligoski, two million is a good number. But for a seventh D, that is not the right number, you know, when you put in yeah, the pie. But y- you um, didn't know for sure what you had in Addison yet. There was some question about that Definitely. at the end of last year for sure. And if Addison wasn't producing the way he's producing right now on the power play, which 
how amazing has he been? He's made two plays in the last two games. Yeah, the Toronto game. To keep plays alive in the offensive zone, that that was the difference. Last year, the Wild don't hold the zone in that spot, and they're regrouping. This year, he makes those plays seemingly every night. And if, if he wasn't bringing that, we'd see Alex Goligoski in the lineup. In fact, look at the game that Goligoski was back in. Addison wasn't supposed to play the next night, and if not for the going seventh defenseman, he wouldn't have been in the lineup, and then he has the big point goal and assist night that now he's back in the lineup every night. Yep. By the way, if you didn't get your raffle tickets, make sure you get them. Counselor. Jost just scored. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, he didn't. Did he really? For Buffalo, yeah. Look at he... that. I said that he wasn't going to be a functional NHL player or something like that, and he scores. Yep. So he talks about Jack Hughes. He scores right away. Who's next? <laughs> Who's next? Maybe Luke yeah. Cunning. Hey, do oh, you remember... Um, do you remember that uh, Anthony and I did a podcast from uh, Prague once, and he took a big-time swipe at you? Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, I just wanted to remind you of that in case it wasn't on your mind. Well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that tonight because you're here. I'm here. Exactly. That, that night, you had bailed on us. I had no choice if I wanted to stay married. Well, we had... I don't know how many, 25 people on the trip. Yeah. 24 came to the podcast. <laughs> one didn't. So that was we, in Prague, So we pointed right? that Prague out. Prague or Vienna? Pra- I, no, Prague. Was I miss Prague. Prague. I, had, yep. I miss Prague. So are the Wild going to stick with the 11-7 until Duhame comes back? No. No. Uh, the, I mean, the, the, he's only done it three times when there's three or four days between, and the next time that happens is in San Jose right before Christmas, and even though there's a bunch of games there, the fact that they play the night before in Anaheim, my gut says they don't even do it then. I mean, the, the way that Dean has explained it, at least to me, and the way Bill Guerin has explained it to me, is that they wouldn't do that if they had just a game in two days, a game the next night. That it's They don't want to burn out Kaprizov, but this was just the opportunity right. to load them up. The, but, the one thing I'll say is it really allows them – I think their roster fits better for 11 and 7. And because now on the fourth line, every you're rolling guys through there where it's Shaw and Dewar with Kaprizov, with Greenway, with Boldy, with whoever happens to be going that night instead of Nick Patan. And by doing that, now you're Kaprizov to me has the look of that guy who's just never tired. It looks like he, if he's playing 19 minutes, he could play 22. And I don't know if Boldy has that yet or not. I don't know if he has that on a consistent basis, though. I mean, he's so got far it on... he has. Have you ever seen him look tired? No. Uh, well, I have. I mean, you know, there have definitely been. I mean, I don't think. Time. I just think. Yeah. But it, a tired Kirill Kaprizov or a fresh Nick Patan. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take yeah. Kaprizov well, they, every but, time. But I, I and do... isn't that the problem? Is that right. you know, Patan but, and Patan and Fogarty have proven their AHLers. Right, but the other thing that it allows you now is with your seven defensemen, you don't have to put Kalen Addison in some of the spots right. that you don't like. Yeah. You can use Alex Goligoski in some different spots. I think Goligoski has shown with his skating ability, he brings some value, especially against some opponents and in some spots on the rink. I think it just I think the way their roster is set up right now, they almost are built better for 11 and 7. I don't disagree. And I just think that you risk it. And the other thing, as we saw with the Felino incident, is that you have a guy that's gone for 19 minutes. Well, <laughs> it really makes you If you have a guy loses his mind, <laughs> no, but I mean, no, but 19 it, minutes it of penalties. You, that, uh, Anthony, it's, 
How many? Anthony how, Quiet. How many Anthony, times it is the same. Guy I'm just saying, 19, 19 minutes of penalties. But you know what? I mean, you could lose a guy to an injury at the same time. Well, you it's could. The same, right. It's the same thing. If you lose yeah. an injury, 60, you they could just lose one an for entire, an injury and only have they five. They just played, played an entire period with 10 forwards the other night. Right. And if that happens on an injury, it's the same thing. I'm just saying, I don't think it's something that you could do, maintain and well, you could sustain for I don't a long know if you do it every single night, but I, if it's me, I use it a lot. With the current roster. With the current Maybe roster, Maybe it's yeah. different when Marco Rossi comes back and you, if he comes back and he's a more productive offensive player, maybe it's different then. If you make a but, trade. Yeah, exactly. But, but right now, with the way this roster is built, Nick Patan's been just fine. But he's a... <laughs> he's the hockey equivalent of a, of a quadruple A baseball player. Exactly. Where That's exactly he's, right. Yeah. He's a dominant player in the American Hockey League, and I just, we, I, I just don't think he has the pace to his game in the NHL to be a, a guy on a night-in, night-out basis. Fine player, be able to fill in from time to time, and I, I'd just rather use that spot to throw Greenway a couple extra shifts a night when you see that last night's a perfect example where there's just times in the game where he gets lost. He's on the second power play. You're not using him to kill penalties. Well, throw him a couple extra shifts on that line. Get him an extra three, four minutes. And maybe Kaprizov gets an extra yeah, to two me, or like, three. To me, it's sustainable more if you if it's just not always Kaprizov. If you if you are sprinkling in a Broldy, a Greenway, a Zuccarello, um, you know, uh, like that that way. But it, it just – you can't play – you can't play Kaprizov 23 minutes a game, uh, every game. It's just, you know, you need him. He is your engine right now. You don't want to kill your engine. So. Yeah, and I so, think he's played, he's played over 23 minutes twice, and one of them was an overtime game. But I, I think there's no reason he can't give you an extra two minutes playing a couple extra shifts on that line over the course of a night. I, I think we'll see it more, but... I, I, you can't do it 82 times. Right. So last question. We didn't see much out of Beckman. What do you what do you think his future is? Mm, I think he I still mean, has, I, he has yeah. a future in the NHL. I actually liked his game while he was up here. He didn't score, but I thought his game was pretty decent. Um, um, but you, but I think that is he going to be a the scorer that he was in WHL up here? It doesn't look like he's got that, but maybe he maybe. I mean, people develop at different uh, paces. I'd like to see him on a more. Um, you know, on a higher line uh, more regularly before we just make up our mind on him rather than, you know, pretty much what, playing fourth line. Did he get on the power play? I can't even remember. I wasn't on the road trip. So if he, he did, did, it was just yeah. some so. couple seconds at the end. That's about it. Yep. I did fly out to Seattle to watch the game out against the Kraken. That's a damn good arena. Oh, yeah. It's a great place. Although their food is even worse than the food on the first See, level. See, I... I uh, uh, at at uh, the X, yeah, the X, I said the X's food yeah. is bad. So Seattle's is worse. So Dan and I were there. Dan from the Pioneer Press and I, we were we were there twice within a week and a half last season, and that was the thing that we talked about. Like it was, it's a really at least when we were there, it was a very sterile arena from that standpoint. Like there's. Do you no ever concessions. spend time though walking? Well, People that, ask me that, like, what that should arena, I eat? We what just wanted to eat? walk around. And I, I, yeah. like, I never eat. No, no, no that was just no the where we walked around, and I was, I was a little shocked, though, at the lack of choices. So hmm. I, I get what you're saying. Now, what I was told, though, was that a lot of it was because of the pandemic. They had to almost speed get, you know, 
speed race to get the arena together and that it was supposed to be a lot better this year. So it sounds like you're saying it really didn't happen. So, um, but interesting. Yeah. What a great arena. I mean, considering that that used to be key arena and, and it was, they essentially lifted the roof and rebuilt the whole thing. It's pretty unbelievable. It's a great town too. It's a great addition to the NHL. It's a, it's great to have the Seattle and Vancouver connection up there. Although this year we don't go to both of them on the same trip, which doesn't make any sense, but it's the it's a great addition to the league. Uh, if you are like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. Well, I went right to the expert Chris Lindahl and asked him. Chris started in 2009, and as we all know, there will there were absolutely similar tensions back then. So I want to know where we were headed. Here's what Chris told me: the supply of homes would have to, would have to outweigh demand, not be all, at all time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on the market would need to spike as well. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer. Prices are being cut a lot too, but the seasons and market have both been shifting. So hard to say if the sky is falling. Number one thing that people can control right now is their equity being at all time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee that they keep their equity need to be proactive now, not wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris at KLRE for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates vaporizing people's equity. Request your no obligation guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindahl.com. Terms and conditions apply. There you go. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Great place to go hang out and watch a hockey game is the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a great new restaurant, great spot. If you're out there for a high school game or a youth game, youth tournament, stop in and grab a cocktail or grab some uh, lunch or breakfast before or after games. But it's also a great place to go catch the Minnesota Wild, on a, even if you're not out there for a game yourself. It's right connected to the arena. It overlooks the curling rinks there. It's a great spot with a solid menu. Check it out. It's the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. Carp, coming on up. We're going to do a little uh, concert review of Carp here. So Carp won the Grain Bell tickets with his mom uh, to Trample by Turtles at the Armory. I haven't talked to you uh, since the concert. I did run into you uh, just lounging on a leather chair in the, this packed Armory. Shocker that he found the only ch- couch. Blame my mom um, for that? Yeah. So uh, tell what do, you, what do you think of the concert? It was a blast. I was very surprised, actually. Really? I had more fun than I thought I was going to. Well, that's my first. Was that your first time at the Armory? I've been there once before. Yeah, that was that was my first time at the Armory, and it is an unbelievable venue, like unbelievable. Um, and I thought the concert was amazing, and I've seen probably Trample play what fifty times, Anthony. Uh, by the way, Anthony and his wife were uh, I thought coming with me to that concert, and uh, all of a sudden the day before I realized that Anthony never actually told Margot that they were coming <laughs> to the concert. I, I... So right on brand, I just want to tell you. So I send a group text during this game. I say, hey Margot, um, Anthony didn't tell you, but I offered to bring you guys to the Trampled by Turtles concert with me tomorrow night. Um, are you guys free? And Anthony writes back, I'm trying to do. TV right now. 
And well, actually, Margo, Margo responded back, first. Yeah, and right on brand, Margo, well, Anthony probably should have told you that we're hosting Ariana and all her friends tomorrow night. So basically, it was right on brand that Anthony didn't know that he had plans. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember all the details. I do re- <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying it was possible, but I did forget to ask Margo about it. I didn't have any idea we were hosting Ariana and her friends either. That had to be and a blast. It was fun. Was it? it yeah, it was oh. fun. She's got, she has a fun group of friends. She's a junior at St. Ben's, and she has a fun group of friends. So that, that part was fun. And I always, as you know, my kids' friends are tremendous people, so we've had a lot of fun over the years, with, mostly with my boys and their friends. But, yeah, this was fun. it was a fun night. But I did, I did forget to mention to Margo that you had asked about the concert and would have liked to have gone. I love the Armory. I think it's a great venue. And I enjoy the Travel by Tur- Turtle shows that we've seen over the I years. I went with Andy and Claudine. They got your tickets. Oh, nice. Yeah. So um, it, I thought it was well, an amazing you show. You say that so they know that they were the second choice. Well... I probably told him anyway. You should have just said. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, we went to Mara, which was uh, at, at, um, at the Four Seasons. Um, two things I got to say about Mara. One, it, was, it really was an unbelievable experience. Like, just great restaurant, great, great drinks, great food, um, great experience. We had the chef's table, all that stuff. So, that was incredible. The other thing is, so as a sports writer, I always like to say that there's not an athlete that I ever get, like, you know, starstruck by because you just cover everything like even like I've been around Michael Jordan in scrums and it didn't bother. so we're walking out of um out of Mara to go walk to the armory and the Golden State Warriors are checking in and I look up right in front of me and Steph Curry is right there and I swear I'm like I had that first like ever moment of like holy crap that's Steph Curry like I just like I'm like and then the other thing I was noticing is like how it's just like every professional team's the same. They get off the bus, they go to the table, they get their keys, they go upstairs. Um, saw Draymond Green, saw Steve Kerr, saw Clay Thompson. It was just kind of cool. So the the one I was just trying to think of who the moments have been that I've ever had that awestruck moment. Now, I'll never forget the first one. I was doing Twins Radio in Chicago at Wrigley Field. And they always have a guest come up to sing, take me out to the ball game. Mm-hmm. And it was right next door to our booth. And it was Muhammad Ali. Wow. And it was, wow. I wasn't a huge boxing fan or anything, but yeah, it but was still, but it was Muhammad iconic. Ali. It was, he was, and he was, you know, eight feet away from me and his version of the song left a little bit to be desired, but I was <laughs> kind of wowed by that. But then the other one for me was Rod Carew. He was my favorite player growing up. I, I wore number 29 on every team that I played on because of Rod Carew. And all of a sudden, early in my time doing twin shows, they said, hey, we want you to come down early to do this interview with Rod Carew. And just to sit next to him and get a chance to chat with him for, we talked for a half hour and just talked about hitting and everything. It was, that was, yeah. was a little bit of a wow moment for me. I think those yeah. are the two that stand out the most. Yeah. Um, it was just, uh, so that was an experience. We go over to the armory, ran to Carp, and his mom, hope you had a, I'm glad you had a great time. And I thought the concert was just outstanding, like, you know, just staring out. In fact, uh, I just got a text from, from Dave right now, because I just, what I said to him in this text today is, like, I just got to think, like, they've played everywhere. They've played sold-out Red Rock shows, but I think that view for this hometown band to see thousands, I mean, there was not an inch to spare in that 
Like I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be on the floor. That would have that would not <laughs> would my cup of tea. Hot. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, how do you go to the bathroom? I mean, you don't. Like, yeah, you don't. Um, so, like, uh, but I just seeing like them staring out. It was awesome. And then there was another really poignant moment during this um, this concert. And um, and I always like I I always just appreciate Trample too because they've donated the music to this the the opening and closing songs of this podcast. And um, they're saying this song with uh, the lead singer of Low, Alan Sparhawk called um, When I Go Deaf, and it was epic. It was, it was so moving, and then when you, put, when you realize that Alan's wife, Mimi Parker, the famous Mimi Parker from the band Low, died two and a half weeks before, it really was just emotional. And I had this, and just wa- listening to Dave Simonette sing this song, and the whole band with Alan, gave me this flashback. I went to a concert, a Trampled by Turtle show, years ago, probably seven, eight, nine years ago, and I know I've told this story on the earlier Russo-Suhan shows, but I had this like, just recollection during this, this flashback, during this song of how good of a human being Dave Simonette is. So we're in Charlotte, and I went to three shows. I went to Charleston, Charlotte, and Raleigh, back to back to back with Trampled. And we're in this small, I see him at this huge amphitheater in Raleigh one night, which was amazing. Next night, they're playing this small club in Charlotte. And I'm backstage after the show, and we're out in the sort of the back of the place, this parking lot, and Dave's outside smoking a cigarette, and all of a sudden this kid, in a real animated way, kid when meeting in his young 20s, starts like kind of creeping back there to sneak, and it's clear he's sneaking back there, and he goes up to Dave, and Dave immediately walks up to him, like, you know, like, in other words, you're not supposed to be here. And, this, and Dave all of a sudden realizes that this kid is like crying. And he embraces this kid, and the kid is crying on Dave Simonette's shoulders. And I don't even know if Dave would ever remember this story, but it was just so beautiful to watch. This kid says to him that his girlfriend was the biggest Trampled by Turtles fan and just died two weeks before because of a brain tumor. And this kid came to the concert just because they had tickets with his girlfriend. And uh, I just thought, I don't know, it was like during he's singing this song with Alan Sparhawk two weeks after his wife died, and then this story kind of went through my mind. I just think it says everything about it, but that it was just an amazing concert. So glad you had fun, Carp. Yeah, it was a blast. So I don't know. I don't think the woman who gave us the tickets that she won is here, but if she's listening, thank you. Nice. Who, who was it again? Was it Jody? Or who was that? No, we got a book from Jody, though. My mom started yeah, on it. Yeah, somebody in the back so won, the, oh, nice. won the tickets. Oh, nice. Cool. I'm glad go. you had a good time. So there you go. One wild note, by the way. Yeah. I, I got to work on Sunday for the Yotes game. Mm-hmm. I'm looking onto the ice, and there was like 17, 18 ice crew workers, like working on the nets. Really? Like I, <laughs> I don't know if they were like told to do that. Uh, they might have. I mean, I'm sure they were. Yeah, I'm sure they were drilling holes and left and right, but you know, fixing a problem Mike that doesn't Mary exist. Was doing it intentionally. Um, simple as that. Yeah. Didn't happen to Flurry. It hasn't happened to any other goal. Yeah, yeah. See when the next time Toronto's yeah. coming. I, yes. just, I just thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. So um, the third one came off a little too easily. <laughs> so look, Carp, uh, you're a good source. So Carp works down at the arena now. Oh, um, nice. Trying to think what else. Uh, Got a big road trip coming up. Yeah, big road trip coming up. So two home home games left to salvage this home stand. They're three and two now against Edmonton. Uh, who the Wild usually beat, uh, even in the Connor McDavid era. They've dominated them and uh, dominated them well before. And uh, then Anaheim, then they go to Dallas. They're taking a couple days up in, uh, in north of Calgary, 
having a little uh, bonding trip, and then they play Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Um, Joe Smith's on that portion. I'm going to Dallas. Yeah, it'll be a, it's a fun trip. I'm all, I always love going to Calgary. That's a fun time. I'm not as crazy about going to Edmonton, although there will be a curling match. I've got some friends making that trip, so it'll be a curling match in Edmonton. Uh, it's too bad you're not with us because yeah, you can show should. off your curling skills. Yeah. And, and then uh, on to Vancouver, which will be fun. I'm excited to go to Dallas. Dallas off to a great start. The other thing I've got coming up. How about Jason up, Robertson right now? He's been terrific. The other thing I've got coming up is we've got high school hockey back yeah. on Valley Sports North, and I'm really excited about it. It's where I got my start covering high school hockey in the Twin Cities area, and we've got a, I think it's a 12-game package over the course of the season. I'm, I'm going to do about six or seven of them, I think, however they fit in our wild schedule. That includes, for me, it includes the hockey day games, but we've got one this week with the defending champs from Andover going up against Moorhead on Friday night. I'm just so excited to go back to covering some high school hockey. It's I love the I love sports at that level. I, it's why I still coach. But I just I, I love being in those high school arenas and the energy and excitement level. Kevin Gorg and I are going to call the game on Friday night, so that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. We've got a doubleheader at Edina before Christmas, where Louie Nanny's going to come with me and and call a couple games there. That'll be a, a fun night. I'm sure there'll be more than a few. Nanny fans in attendance down at Braemar Arena for a doubleheader. That'll be a good night. Nice. I'm excited about it. It should be fun. To, it should be fun. That'd be cool. And, uh, yeah, really cool stories coming up in The Athletic as well. Uh, Joe's got a really neat story coming up here on Kirill Kaprizov and all these stars around the league talking about Kaprizov. Um, Jake Middleton's running this week. Um, a lot of really cool stories. I'm working on national stories. There's one I'm just super excited about. It won't run until early January because I'm just going into every single locker room every day and working on it. Um, which has been part of my, you know, my part of my new role. It's it's been really cool. Is is getting to know like you know I've interviewed players throughout the league in scrums, but it's you know now getting to talk to guys one on one that you've never talked to. You know, like like Zach Cassian's been in the league for how many years? And I talked to him the other day for you know five ten minutes. Uh, Chicker and Gostabear, um, you know, Auntie Ranta, nicest human in the world, Brandon Dillon. These are guys that I really have never had, you know, conversations with. Um, every coach that have played the Wild in the last little while getting sit-downs with them. Um, it's kind it's of, amazing, though, when you go around the National Hockey League, to try to find a jackass is hard. Oh, it's hard. I mean, yeah. just about every guy, if you're respectful to them and you introduce yeah. yourself and they'll all give you – two, three, four, yeah. five questions, and, and if, it's, if it's something where you ask in advance that, hey, I, I'd like to talk to you, I'm working on this, yeah. or everybody's accommodating. Well, I mean, you know, another, like, uh, here's a good example. I think a lot of Wild fans have probably hated Ryan Reeves for as long as he's been in the league, and I guarantee you by the end of his time, you're probably going to like him. Like, I'm doing a podcast with him on Wednesday. I can't even tell you how simple it was to set up. You know, it's just like, I mean, that's just... That's just the, the way that National Hockey League guys are. Like, Ryan Reeves is a very different guy off the ice than he is on the ice, um, which actually I've kind of ran that campaign for a while. He's a good dude. Marty, what's up? Well, a lot I can talk about, but this I can talk about <laughs> yeah. in a kind of a Marty, segue. Marty, if you don't know, you probably recognize him, Marty and Wes. Uh, they're two of the uh, longtime security guys at the uh, XL Energy Center. They're in the locker room every single day, outside the locker room, day guarding one. it. Uh, down the tunnel, the players that you see are wild safe players because going of these guys. Yeah, <laughs> they are, um, and they um, uh, know all and say nothing. So trust me, I've tried. No, Except now, 
Yeah. Well, this is just a segue from what you guys were talking about. In, in my 22 years now of being there, some of the nicest guys, and a lot of you I'm sure have heard this before, are the tough guys, the fighters off the ice. Those are probably the most sweetest guys you'll ever meet in your life. You would never guess. I remember in year one, probably two months into the season, two heavyweights. I can't even remember who we were playing or who the two guys were that were fighting, but it was a third period, and they were literally just throwing haymakers and beating the snot out of each other. And 15 minutes later, the game is done, and they're back in their T-shirts and shorts and flip-flops talking to each other in the back hallway. You know, hey, how is the wife and kids doing? When are we going golfing this summer? And for me... I mean, I knew that these guys all don't hate each other. This is their job, right? But that was really a, uh, a turning point that I realized that, wow, I, I know a lot less than I thought I knew. I thought I knew everything about hockey, and these two guys were just pummeling each other, and now they're talking about, how's your wife and kids doing, and we got to yeah. plan a boating trip. And so it, it's kind of, there's a lot of things that happen, and you guys can attest to this, yeah. that well, why isn't this guy traded? Why isn't this guy brought up? And they're... If you're watching a game on TV and, or at the, at the X and you see a left winger that constantly isn't back-checking, well, you don't need me or a general manager to tell you that this guy's kind of lazy. You can see that. But there are other things that do happen behind the scenes, maybe at practice, maybe when they're on the road. There's other things that happen that they aren't made public and you don't know. And so a lot of times moves are made or moves aren't made because of these things that happen that no, nobody ever sees. Right. Absolutely. Um, a hundred percent. Yeah. We, we know percentages of what, uh, you know, that's the same thing with like, you know, why a goalie starts or different line combinations. I mean, this is all stuff that we don't see, you know, like, like line combinations too. It's not as just simple as like, all right, best lines, best guys are on the first line. Second, a lot of it is based on the matchups that they want that night versus certain teams. So that's why a Ryan Reeves might be in that slot or Greenway in that slot or, or whatever. So, um, but you're, you're I was amazed right. sometimes even that, that, it depended on which way a guy liked to pass. He passes to his right better than he passes to his left, so we're going to put him on a line with this guy instead of this guy. And it, it's crazy the little subtle things that happen, but you know, I, I think you're exactly right, and I always tell people that the coaches see everything. They're looking for reasons why guys fit or don't fit, and they see everything. They, they don't miss a rep in practice. They don't miss a, an interaction with the equipment guy or with the trainer or anything. And if, if a guy isn't quite the right fit, it can, it can cause major problems inside the room. And that bleeds over onto the bench and into game situations in a quick, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, any other questions before we wrap up the show? Any, any? Here you go. Wilmer. Eric, I should stop calling you Wilmer. Jack Eichel hit in the face of the puck. Went right to the room. Sorry. Just uh, curious with you guys talking about Ryan Reeves and stuff like that. And one guy I noticed a lot in training camp and preseason was Brandon Baddock. Do you think there's any chance he comes in? He's a big uh, instigator, tough guy down in Iowa. What do you guys think about him? I'd say unlikely. Yeah. Especially I'm now with the addition of Reeves. I, yeah. I just I, I don't see I don't see another guy like that in the lineup on the on a regular basis. I I still. Ryan Reeves has to, he has to be able to play in order to play. And he's been good. I thought he was good the other night. The fact that he was on the ice at the end of the game gives you a little idea of what the coaching staff thought of his game. But the days are gone when you can just play a guy and ask him to play four minutes and 
go fight somebody tonight, you have to be able to play, you have to be able to skate, you have to be able to move, and and Reeves is going to have to prove that, that he can do that on a night-in, night-out basis for more minutes than he's done in a while if he's going to fit with the, the line, at least the way the lineup is structured right now. Any other questions? No? December 13th out, Wes? You want to come up? Okay. Yeah, Marty. Marty, you're risking stuff here. He's not worried about trouble. No, this is uh, <laughs> kind of tied to getting hit in the puck, and I'm sure a lot of you saw the picture of the young fan that got hit in the puck. Yeah. Um, and, and that, uh, and also the, the pictures of uh, him down in the locker room with his buddies. Boldy and Spurgeon and... Uh, that was all Jared Spurgeon. Yeah. He turned around right after that happened and said to me, we need to get that kid and who's ever with him down to the locker room after the game. And that just goes wow. to show you what kind of a guy Spurgeon is. We're Spurgeon, in the middle, Boldy, and Felino. Middle of the hockey game. And, and Felino handed his stick up right away to the kid. And Spurgeon turned around and said, we need to get that kid down nice. here and who's ever with him. That's awesome. The kid's okay. Yeah. He looked uh, definitely happy in the eye. Uh, oh, yeah. Like yeah. he forgot that puck to the uh, thing. There you go. All right. We're going to do the uh, – we'll do the raffle right after the show here uh, to give away um, some uh, Worst Seats in the House merchandise, a couple T-shirts. Uh, we have a couple uh, wild uh, items as well. Again, December 13th at Split Rocks. We've gotten incredible um, – uh, uh, crowds up there the last couple of weeks. It's such an awesome bowling theater, too. Uh, uh, games, play darts, great food, drinks, um, all that stuff. So definitely come up uh, December 13th at Split Rocks is our next show. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, uh, Grain Belt, of course, Tuttles. Um, thanks to everybody for coming out here to Tuttles. Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and cooling. How about that, Brandon? Uh, Royal Credit Union. Kowalski's, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, and of course, Moe's Tavern. Everybody give Anthony LaPanta a hand here. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never gonna win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. Anthony. Anthony, quiet.